Okay, so we're holding in the Tzemach Tzedek story that they changed the Gezeira. And it, this changing of the Gezeira, the Gezeira was already bad enough as it was. When they changed it, it made it a hundred times worse. Because it used to be they would pick certain names. So if this guy ran away, okay, so that guy ran away, what are you going to do about it? But then they said, for now on, the government says, we don't care names. We want that this community gives us this amount of Jewish soldiers. If someone runs away, tough luck. Pick someone else instead. What if they don't have any more boys? There's always more boys, trust me. What if there's only the community of They do it, whatever, they'll, they'll make them who it is. Okay. Now, in 1843, the Tsar gave the Tzemach Tzedek the title of honored citizen um, along with a certificate that uh, to prove the honor. Now one of the benefits of this certificate that Tzemach Tzedek got was that if one of his sons were drafted that son could come with this certificate and he would be exempted from going to the army. The Rebbe, however, refused to accept this privilege because he said, if they're going to want, let's say the town of Lubavitch, they're, they're demanding, I'm just giving a number, they're demanding 20 boys every single year. Now, let's say my, my son gets chosen and I use this certificate to get my son out of going to the army. It just means someone else's son is going, so he refused to use it. Now... In the beginning, he refused to use it, but shortly afterwards, they, they changed it for the Tzemach Tzedek. They said, if your son gets chosen to go to the army and he uses a certificate, we're not going to make you choose someone else instead. Um, now, while all these tactics, all these, these ways of doing things, either buying or, or exempting someone or fi finding or even paying a family to, to say that this guy is their only son... That, helped, that, that helps some people, but it's not a solution for the entire community. And it did not calm anyone's suspicions down. That, that oh, there's favoritism going on. And the Rabbanim throughout Russia, they came up with a solution to the problem. They said, we're going to use a lottery system. They're going to do it in public so everyone sees. That, that we're not trying to hide anything. Now, some of the boys who were selected to go join the army, they accepted their fate and that's it. They were sad about it, but what are you going to do? Some of the other boys, as soon as they heard their name being called out, guess what happened to them? They took off like a rocket and ran into the forest and was never heard from again. They just had to go and choose a new name, which was very sad. Could you blame the guy for running away? No. I don't blame him. Now, is he right? Probably not, but you can't blame him. The way he looked at it, his life is in danger, and his life comes before someone else's life. Sure it is. If you have a choice to save yourself or someone else, you save yourself. Again, so I'm saying it from, from, a, from a point of view that, that you could totally understand why they thought it was okay to run away. Anyways, now this created one of the most tragic situations in Jewish history. If a boy 
was drafted, his parents would become desperate. They'd go, oy vey, our son's going to join the army. We're never going to see him again. Especially if they don't have money to, to, to get him out, to, to secure his relief, uh, you know, get him to get his freedom. And if some guy happened to show up who was known to be an unsavory character, someone who was not to be trusted, but he says to the to parents, hey, you know, for a small fee, I can, I can get your son out of the army. And these parents, desperate to save their son, no matter how it was done, they agreed. Not thinking, how do you think this guy is saving your son from going to the army? Now, this family's relief and their hope became the fear and the nightmare of the entire Jewish community. Now, in the beginning, most families didn't understand what was going on, how this person was able to get their kid off from going to the army. But these sick, disgusting Jews, we're talking about Yidin were doing these things. They would travel throughout the area, and they would, they would pretend to be travelers, businessmen, or even they would pretend to be Malamdim. And when they saw an opportunity, they see a Jewish boy walking down the street, they would kidnap him. They would bring him to the next town over or whatever, the next city over and say, hey, give this kid, this kid's going to be going to the army instead of that kid. And even if a boy was five years old, he didn't, they didn't care. These people were so sick, disgusting, rishoyim, that they were able to do such a thing. Jewish kidnappers. And now... Once this child was in the hands of, of such a person, his fate is sealed. It's very hard to get them out from, from the kidnappers. Because even if I know, let's say I know that guy's a Jewish kidnapper, and I know that kid that he has in his wagon right there is a kidnapped child, but guess what? These Jewish kidnappers were recognized by the government as officers of the government. And if anyone ever tried to save a kid, from, from, these, from these kidnappers, they would automatically be accused of rebelling against the Tsar. <clears throat> and you could imagine how sad the situation was. They, these people would travel throughout the entire Russia just kidnapping kids all over the place. And, and imagine you're a parent. You send, hey, Shmuel, could you go to the store to buy some milk? You never hear from your kid again because he got kidnapped on the way, to, on the way back from the store. Now, and even though it seemed that nothing could be done, something was being done about it. There's a small little village called Lubavitch, and the Rebbe was there, and he was working very strongly behind the scenes and now again, all this, the government is suspecting the Tzemach Tzedek and everything, but because the Tzemach Tzedek set up the whole committee of five, right, like Rapil Paracher and Isaac Kumler, um, because of that, they never were able to prove anything, that he, that he did anything wrong. Now, when the Tsar's Gezerah first called for the, the drafting of 18-year-olds to the army for 25 years, so the Rebbe gave top-secret instructions to certain individuals that were living near the army bases, either some of the army bases or, or a lot of the army bases, 
that um, a lot of times he told Hasidim to move near the army bases, basically to encourage these Jewish soldiers as much as possible, help them whatever they need, keep, keep them strong in Yiddishkeit, keep in contact with them, give them moral support, bring with them, give them if they need sedurim, tefillin, kosher food, whatever you could to help them. And each of these individuals, they figured out a way to go into the army base. So you can't just walk into an army base, right? But these guys all figured out ways. They became, most of them became contractors for the army. They, I supply bread for the army. Now, because you supply bread for the army, that means you get to go on to the army base. And once you're on the army base, no one's going to stop you from walking around. and Hey, Shay, Yasala, come here. How are you doing? Do you, do you need any, you need a sitter or a, a chumash or anything? Right, like that. That's how it would work. And, um, however, now it got worse. Because now, it was no longer the drafting 18-year-olds. Now they're kidnapping boys at the age of 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. Whatever the age was, very young. Uh, a whole new, so now the, the, the system that the Tzemach Tzedek originally set up could no longer work. Because these kids weren't being sent to army bases. They're being sent to live in the middle of nowhere with Gaisha families. So he, the Tzemach Tzedek had to make a whole new system to help these Jewish boys. Now these, these kids, imagine you're a seven-year-old boy. It's not like you know you're getting drafted or anything like that. Like the 18-year-olds. That they knew they were going to the army, they could take stuff with them. This, this kid, these guys were just kidnapped on the way home from shul or whatever, school or anything like that. They're traumatized, they're terrified, they have no clue what's flying. They don't even know where they are. And to help ensure that these children would forget their families and, and their Yiddishkeit as, as quickly as possible, they were put in areas where there were no Yiddin living. They're completely on their own. Now, a lot of times they would dump like five Jewish kids together. But still, if they're all seven, how much Torah could they know already? Oh, they might be able to remember a few tefillahs here and there. Because let me tell you, if you showed up with a sitter, guess what happened to that sitter? They threw it right in the fire. They don't want you to have a sitter. And let me ask you something else. Exactly how are they supposed to know when the other Tevim are? Shabbos is Shabbos, right? That, that you can figure out because it's Saturday, right? But, you, but if you don't have a Jewish calendar, you don't know when Yom Tevim are. And as the years passed, many of these kidnapped kids forgot what it meant to be Jewish. Now, in the majority of cases, as soon as they arrived at their new home, all Jewish items that they happened to have, if they had sedurim, tzitzis, yarmulkes, everything was just taken from them and it was burnt in front of their face. Now, obviously, forget about kosher food. That's not being given to them. And, and as for Shabbos, you think a Gaisha farmer knows what Shabbos is? We work seven days a week here to survive. Right? To him, it just looked like these boys were being lazy. Oh, you don't want to work one day a week? I'll beat you until you start working. Now, how, how long could a child suffer like this before caving into the pressure? They ain't going to make it that long before they just start keeping anything. Now, so besides for the Tzemach Tzedek's effort to, to help the older um, soldiers that were drafted, so that was a little easier because they, they knew much more and you know, it, wasn't, it wasn't illegal for them to have tefillin on the army base. So now we created a new group called Chevras Tchias HaMesim. Right? Because basically, you're helping save these kids from death. 
spiritual death. Now, since these young boys were kidnapped from their homes, they're forced to travel hundreds of miles to their new homes, many of them died along the way, along the way, on the way to their new place. Some of them had diseases, others from, they, they weren't fed or whatever. And others, by the way, they refused to eat tray food, so they died. They starved to death. Now, using this unfortunate, miserable situation to save other boys, that Tzemach Tzedek raised a tremendous amount of money. He said, I'm going to bribe some guards, and they're going to just say, oh, sorry, these boys died on the train over to this place. Right, this way, and then you, get, you give the kids over to a, a Jewish family that lives in the middle of nowhere that no one knows who they are, and he'll take care of them. So, they, they, again, this works very well, I mean, for, for some kids. Uh, you, you bribe them to let a few boys go, and you claim that they died or whatever, anything like that. Now, as long as they were paid, you think these guards care? They just want money to buy more mashka. They don't care about... The czar wants the whole thing. Oh, I want the Jews to convert. Most of these guards don't care about that. They just want money. So you, you give them money. They'll, they'll make sure the kids die. Meaning, on, like, they'll say that he died. Um, now, what about, the fact is, how many kids are you saving like this? You can't say that but every single kid died. So what percentage of kids? Five percent. No, wait, not even half. If you send, you send 10,000 kids to the country, you can say 5,000 died on the way. No one's going to believe that. How, how many could you say already? 10, 20, 30? So obviously, every kid you save is something. But that's not, the majority is not being saved like that. So the Tzemach Tzedek didn't give up on those kids who were forced to go live in these Goyesha communities. He didn't give up, give up on them either. Hasidim, who were peddlers, they were merchants, right? They would travel from town to town selling stuff. And he told these, these travelers... From now on, you're going to expand your territory. Instead of just going to these 10 cities, I want you to go a lot further out and look for where these Jewish kids are being held. Now, once you, um, once you locate where the children are, so these Hasidim would get friendly with these Goyesh uh, peasants, the, the, the farmers, whatever, where, the, where these Jewish kids were being held. And when they felt that they, were, they became uh, friendly enough, they would convince the farmers, you know, do you really care if the kid wants to wear tzitzis or daven every day? What do you care? As long as he does his work, that's all that really matters. And we'll give you something, you know, once a month I'll give you a nice bottle of mashka. Right? And, and because they became friendly with a lot of these goyim, the goyim agreed. Like, what do they care? And um, also, let's say there was a deadly epide epidemic that broke out in the area. They would bribe the peasants to say, oh, sorry, the kid died and, they, and they, you know, he had the uh, corona. What are you going to do? Corona. Right? Um, other times, they would inform the, the authorities that, oh, sorry, the kid drowned in the river. Right? They, again, so they, this is more trying to save more and more of these kids. Now, here's the problem. When this kid, you, let's say they managed to save uh, Beryl, right? This Jewish kid. Now, the government thinks that Beryl died. died. So they send a letter to Beryl's mother and parents saying, we're sorry to inform you that your son, Beryl, has died. Now, the parents don't know what really happened to their kid. They think their kid died. And they'll think that for the rest of their lives because these kids could never be put back in contact with their parents. Because what happens if the government starts finding out these things? It's over. So the, the deal was that these, we, we, they save these kids 
but they were never allowed to contact their parents. They had to wait at least like 25, 30 years before going to their parents, which a lot of them, their parents died by them of heartache. Um, now, it, it, it didn't have to be that long. I mean, it could be even after five years of the parents suffering, they'd let the parents know, we can't let, put you in contact with your son, we just want to let you know your son's alive and he's living a Jewish life, with, you know? And obviously, the parents were sad that they, they would never see their kid probably again, but at least he's, you know, it made them happy. He's growing up in a Jewish home. Now, here's another problem that you have. Once these boys are rescued, where exactly are you putting them? Where, where, where are you going to bring them? If you return them to the parents' home, obviously the government's going to come right away and take them right back. And also the whole program gets jeopardized. So you have to put them with families that... that so, so the way we're, Let's say you have a family that Nebach, their son Taka died. So you, you bring a, one of the boys to him and you say, okay, this is going to be your son instead of that. Meaning tell everyone this is your son. Just don't let anyone know your son died. This will be your son instead. Um, and these children would stay with these new families until they were old enough to marry, and, and they got married and they had their own families. Now, all this, could you imagine how much money we're talking about had to be raised? Tremendous amount of money. Who's raising all this? The Tzemach Tzedek. Um, well, the Tzemach Tzedek, you have to realize, had hundreds of thousands of Hasidim. Now, it wasn't like most of the Hasidim were rich. But when the Tzemach Tzedek asks you to help out, you do what you can. Um, now, of course, this is all done undercover because according to the way everyone else is hearing it from the Committee of Five, Oy, Nebach, the Tzemach Tzedek doesn't want to get involved. Because again, he had to hide from the government what he was really up to. Now, let's say at the end of the day, most boys are not being saved in any way like that. Um, and they are going to eventually become soldiers. What do you do to help them? So the Tzemach Tzedek put tremendous emphasis. The biggest thing he said is yeah, you have to keep in contact with these kids. Don't let them forget what it means to be a Yid. So even if you see them once a month, you just encourage them, do whatever you can. You bring them anything they'll need, fill in, talis, anything. Now, besides for that, whenever a Jewish soldier would come to Lubavitch, the Tzemach Tzedek would personally take care of this soldier, whoever showed up, to show how much love he had for these soldiers. And he instructed his Gabbai that unlike everyone else, if, that if they wanted the Yechidus, they had to wait. If a soldier came, the soldier was able to walk into the Tzemach Tzedek's room. No meeting, no knock. He could just walk right in. That was, the, that was what the Tzemach Tzedek made up. There was a cantonist by the name of Elazar Moshe. He was a cantonist soldier. And during the years of his service, he was responsible to guard a warehouse full of gunpowder. Now, while he was there, he would often say, the Shechina is in Galus. Oy vey. And there was something about the purity, the, the, the tahar way, that this simple statement, that it captured the Tzemach Tzedek's heart. And the Tzemach Tzedek once said in reference to him, Shkacha you ready for this? When the Shpaler Zayde, 
wrapped a gardel around the Halek Eruziner, before taking him to Cheder, he said, I am wrapping a Sefer Teira. And the same is true of Rebbe Lazar Moshe, this Cantonist soldier. Whoever touches him should know one thing. He is touching a Sefer Teira. And when Rebbe Lazar Moshe would come to Lubavitch, the Tzemach Sedek would welcome him to his home and he would stand up when he walked into the room. Could you imagine the Tzemach Sedek standing up? This guy probably didn't have a beard. Because he was in the army, whatever it was. Now, the person who was in charge of Chavrat Chiesa Mason, I mean, the Rebbe can't be in charge of everything, but who did he put in charge of it? It wasn't a Chassid. It was Rebbe Chaim Mushka. <laughs> His wife? No, the Tzemach Sadek's wife was Rebbe Chaim Mushka. The, the per, uh, now, in addition to all the above, the Tzemach Sadek firmly believe that according to halacha, any one of these Jewish kidnappers is halachically called a roidev. We're learning now in Sefer HaMitzvahs that if someone's trying to kill another Yid, you don't need Bazin to tell you that, you that you kill that person to stop him. You just kill him. You don't need Bazin, you don't need the Bazin to be Badalishka Sagazis. You kill him because he is endangering Jewish lives. You kill him. Now, a lot of these Jewish kidnappers, they, uh, you know, some of them disappeared. They were found sometime later in a shallow grave in the middle of the forest. Who do you because the Yidden found out these guys were kidnappers and they would go and kill them and bury them. Or they, they would happen to drown in the mikvah. Yeah. Because as soon as he went down to dunk, because remember, these were from Yidden we're talking about, these kidnappers. When they go down to dunk, somebody, you know, held them there extra long to give him a good tahira. You know. Now, you ready for this next crazy story? One time, two, two of these Jewish kidnappers, they had a disagreement how to divide the money that they earned from, from, from kidnapping these Jewish kids. So they had the chutzpah. Who's going to decide which money goes to who? Let's go to the Tzemach Sedek. Everyone knows he's a big rav. So they, without any shame whatsoever, they go straight in and they tell him they're having an argument because they kidnapped these Jewish kids and they got the money and we want to know how to divide it. And they said, we want the rabbit to give his psaked in. And the Tzemach Tzedek became extremely serious. And he says, you want the judgment to be strictly according to Torah? He says, yes, we want the judgment to be according to Torah. And the Tzemach Tzedek opens up a chumash. And he says, reads the Pasuk, someone who kidnapped one of his brothers, he will surely die. He closes the chumash as if to say, you heard the din according to Torah. Now get out of here. And they, their faces turned white when they heard what the Tzemach Tzedek said and they, they wanted to respond, but the Rebbe didn't allow them to stay in the room for an extra moment. Now one of, the, one of these kidnappers became sick immediately and he, and he died that week. And the other one became paralyzed and he wasn't able to speak until he also passed away a few weeks later. Now, this mission of helping or as much as they could helping all these young uh, boys who were being sent to the countryside or to the army 
it went smoothly for over 10 years, this, this organization was going on. And everything would have continued to go well, except for our dear Jewish brothers, the Maskilim, who, like they, they had no trouble stopping, putting a stop to this, because to, to, they, they didn't care about Jewish lives. One of their spies heard about this whole underground network, and they realized that this is the opportunity we're waiting for to get the Tzemach Tzedek in, in trouble. And we'll continue the, uh, what happened, because it's a long story how, how it happened. We'll continue that tomorrow.